prompting is when the Holy Spirit elbows your ribcage. So this morning, if you feel like the Holy Spirit elbows your ribcage for any reason at all, I want to invite you to obey that prompting. And so you're like, well, maybe I should go and receive prayer or, or healing uh, prayer or the anointing of oil as the scriptures call for. I just want to invite you to obey that prompting. And so the prayer room is staffed the entire service. And so it doesn't really matter what I say. It matters what the Holy Spirit says. And so if you feel led to go get prayer, just get up and go get prayer. You're not going to distract me or anybody else, okay? So let's jump into this brand new collection this morning. I'm going to be in John chapter 5. It'll be on the monitors to my left and to my right, but you're free also to open up your own Bible or power on your own Bible as well. And this is John chapter 5, and we're going to look at four or five of the most compelling moments where Jesus steps into the space and place of someone's life. And their life is trapped by the anchorings and chains of patterns of sinfulness or despair or disease. And Jesus changes people, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And so what we're going to see as we jump into these next four weeks is we're going to look at how Jesus steps into people's lives with mercy in his eyes. And how that changes everything everything. This is John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, if you were to visit St. Anne's Church in Jerusalem, which there's a picture of there on the monitors, they would show you the deep excavation that has revealed the ancient pool of Bethesda. Now, the Hebrew word for Bethesda is actually house of mercy. It can be rendered as house of mercy or house of grace. But it can also mean place of two outpourings. Apparently, the archaeological blueprints and history tells us that there was probably two pools, like two pools at the pool of Bethesda that serviced this area of Jerusalem. And one pool or two pools is unimportant. What is important was the Hebraic superstition many Jewish people had regarding that pool or two pools that history teaches us about. There's a couple of paintings that the team will show you here momentarily, and these paintings will give you an idea of the spiritual superstitious draw that these two pools had in ancient Jerusalem. 
It says that the pools were stirred. They were stirred. Well, by who? Well, verse 4 is omitted from many translations because of the fragmentations of the original manuscripts. Now, the copied manuscripts carries verse 4, as does the KJV, which is my KJV joke of the day. It's like, I feel like it's a secret Christian. KJV! KJV people know, right? You know. You know the authority of the KJV. It says this in verse 4 in the KJV. It says, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Why would John bother to record such an odd piece of passage? Nowhere else in Scripture is anyone healed except by a human being or a God-man. Never does an Epsom salt bath, doesn't matter if it was at St. Anne's Church, truly heal from the inside out. This would be the first time in all of the counsel of God that something, an inanimate subject or object like a pool of Bethesda, this, this place that people would show up to, because if you could get into it at just the right time while it was stirring, the jets turned on, well, then maybe your physical infirmity would be healed. This was a classic Hebraic superstition. This is a modern-day crystal, a modern-day lucky charm. Whatever you want to call our modern equivalent, they had an ancient equivalent of their own superstition. And verse 4 in the KGV records that odd superstition. An angel of the Lord would come down from time to time and stir the holy hot tub into bubbles. And if you were the first one in it, well, aren't you lucky? You're the only one that day or that week that got to experience physical healing. Where would this superstition come from? Well, this is where a little Jewish history would be really, really helpful. This comes from the word mikvah. Mikvah is the Jewish word, it's the Hebrew word, for what is known as the Jewish ritual bath. Okay? Think a body of water, a very small body of water, and the Jewish ritual would be that if you were to engage in some kind of pattern of sin or you made a mistake, you could actually take off all of your garments, including all of your jewelry, step into the bath for three immersions, and that ritualistic behavior or action would cleanse you from the inside out. That's a mikvah. Now, the reason that the mikvah probably was the genesis of this odd Hebraic superstition of the holy hot tub and Michael the archangel deciding, oh, today's the day, I'm going to go down and stir the hot tub for everybody, is because Hebrews knew something. They knew that stagnant water was related and correlated to death, because that's where disease builds up and mosquitoes lay eggs, is stagnant water, our kiddie pools in the backyard, right? But they knew that moving water... Flowing water correlated to life. They knew that moving water, bubbling water, stirring water, water falls, this all led to life. Water that was clean and pure and could feed you and cleanse you and hydrate you. So people would often go into the mikvah, the moving water, 
so as to cleanse themselves before a giant celebration or marriage or whatever. This is a beautiful analogy that Jesus would actually end up borrowing to describe himself as living water. And as beautiful of an analogy that is, being the genesis of this really odd superstition in Hebrew culture, it was this paralytic man's superstitious belief that the bubbling, stirred-up, moving water in the pool of Bethesda would heal his physical infirmity. The only problem is that you had to be the first one in the stir when it happened. That was the superstition. But there was an issue. He couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. And after the first person stepped into that bubbling water, well, the power of the water evaporated and it was gone. So if you're not the first one in, you're, you're out. So how long are you willing to wait in line? Apparently, this man was willing to wait a very, very long time, 38 years. But what I find odd, church family, is that a man who couldn't walk is also probably a man who couldn't swim. A man who can't walk is also a man who can't swim unless I don't know something. Maybe they had life jackets in that time. I don't know. However, I do not believe that he actually thought he could make it in there. I think that his dedication was misled. I think that it was this superstitious gravity of the pools of Bethesda where large crowds of invalids would gather, hoping and waiting that this superstition was true. I mean, after all, I mean, if it gathered that large of a crowd, perhaps something exciting was happening. Maybe somebody came out and says, I'm healed. And then they realized that maybe they're, they're not as healed as they once thought they were. This man's misinformed superstitions was paired with his misled dedication and sense of his own control. And 38 years passed. A lifetime. I'm 36. I'll be 37 this month. A lifetime of sitting, hoping, hopelessly hoping that he could be the first one in the stirred water. And in an entire lifetime, passes him because of a belief in a superstition and a dedication to his own sense of control. Many years ago, my wife and I stepped into a Whole Foods because we're bougie like that. And we stepped into a Whole Foods and we were shopping. And at the time, it was in Arizona and I was actively looking for something to mitigate my allergies because I've always had some sinus problems in my life. And my wife discovered that it was oregano oil. It was uh, the diffused essential oil of oregano that potentially could work. And for all you who diffuse oils, that's a whole world I do not understand. But I believed my wife that this potentially could be a thing that mitigates some of my allergies or some of my sinus pressure. This is a very embarrassing story. And we stepped into Whole Foods and we found the oil section she goes, hey, Luke, that's the oregano, but be careful because if you, know, you use it in the wrong spot or you use too much of it, it's going to backfire. It's like, what do you know? 
So when my wife walked away for a minute, I took that oil of oregano and I took the cap off and I went like this into my hand. And then I went like this into my hands. And then I took my glasses off and I put it all over my face. I would not recommend this. It was a pain level and a panic level, the likes of which I have never experienced in my life, ever. I find it odd and a little humorous that when we take matters into our own hands to pursue our own healing, we actually end up doing ourselves more harm. Do you hear it? Do you feel it? We're subject to oregano in our faces. Don't do that. Don't do that. What's the idea here for your heart? It's that the stubborn become spiritually sedentary. The stubborn, the stubborn, I want to take the healing into my own hands. Surely I can control this. I mean, after all, I've been here for 38 years. What's a year more? What's a year more? I will take this into my own hands and I will heal the physical infirmity and I will heal the spiritual infirmity. And like this man in this passage, some of you are stubborn. Some of you are so stubborn. And the human condition and the human heart's tendency and propensity to live in a perpetual state of stubbornness will lead you to 38 years of poolside time. 38 years of hoping for healing but not actually receiving the healing that you are hoping for because of your own misplaced sense of self-dedication. I'm going to sit here and not move. Until there's no line. And that, that point, I will figure out a way to get into the water. I haven't gotten to that part of the program yet. But once there's no line, then I'll figure out how to roll myself into this pool that I could drown in because I can't swim either. The propensity, the possibility of your heart to mislead you and to lie to you has never been higher than it is when you talk about healing. Because you want to be in control of your own healing. You want to be in control of your own change. I do too. We're the same. I want to govern over how this heart of mine heals. I want to oversee how this body of mine heals. I mean, after all, only I can control my life, right? Right? I think this man's life proves that we are wrong. And yet Jesus finds this man in these colonnades, this incredible, beautiful architecture. I imagine it was gorgeous. It was, it was like niche, poolside, vacation environment. And Jesus walks into the beauty of the pool and the beauty of the colonnade and finds this man and steps into his world with mercy in his eyeballs. 
and finds out that he's been there for that long. Some of you are like that man. You've been stationary for years and years and years and years and all of a sudden you string enough years together and you've got a lifetime. But you're just hopelessly hoping that your dedication to your current spot, well, that, that dedication of mine, Surely my healing's coming. I mean, after all, the angel's eventually going to show up and stir the pot, right? He'll get here. Michael the archangel, I know that he's got the power to heal, even though that's nowhere in Scripture. Angels don't have the power to heal. They guard, they counsel, they minister. Only God heals. Only God can heal. Only Jesus has the power to heal. Angels don't have power to heal. They have power for presence and ministering and comfort. Jesus asks this man a question that the man can't shake, probably because the man has never been asked this question. Jesus asks, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, you'd think that this man would hear this question and be like, well, of course. I mean, yes, I want to get well. I mean, duh, I'm sitting here at the edge of the pool waiting for the bubbles to start bubbling. I mean, isn't it obvious that I want to get well? You'd think he would say that. You'd think he would jump to his feet with enthusiasm, like, yes, 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 I do. Are, are you offering that? But instead of saying yes, this man gives an entirely different answer, probably because he forgot while he was there what he was there for, because he was there for so long. Can you imagine a lifetime at the edge of a pool hoping to get healed? Surely your mind wanders. And instead of saying yes, this man gave his excuse. Now, see, sir, the angel, every time he comes and stirs the pool, I get cut in line. Boo, hoo, hoo. Woe is me. You see, I, I get cut in line every time I have the opportunity to get healed, sir. So can't you see that like I've got like a I've got a pro, I've got an administrative problem here. It's that I can't get into the water. And every time I try to, someone circumvents me. Someone jumps, jumps in line. He gives an excuse. Well, that's what humans do. We give excuses. We're really good at it. We got a whole list of excuses, don't we? I mean, we can come up with every excuse in the book why we're trying to get healed, but not actually sure that we want the healing. I mean, if you sit in a place long enough in life, you begin to become familiar with your own misery. I mean, after all, he was there for a lifetime. Perhaps he had some friends right next to him 
that he would talk to from time to time. Perhaps that was his place to receive any kind of uh, help, any kind of monetary compensation from anybody else. Maybe that was his spot. That was his life. And he became so familiar with the comfort of that misery that he had forgotten whether or not he wanted to get well. The human heart's ability to keep us right in the midst of our own misery. It's unbelievable. And some of y'all are there. Some of y'all are there. Some of you are like, yeah, well, duh, I want healing. But do you? Do you want healing? Do you know what healing would do for you? It would set you free. It would create a new life for you. Are you sure you want a new life? I mean, after all, doesn't, sound, doesn't that sound a little scary? Do you want to get well? Or do you want to just wait in line? There are two very different pursuits in life. And I'm here to reveal the human's excuses. And here are the excuses that we give about healing. We'll say, I'm too old. I can't change, Luke. I am too old. I am an old dog, unwilling to learn new tricks. I'm too old. There's nothing else God can do for me. I hear excuse, I hear excuse, I hear excuse. Luke, I have been gossiping for a lifetime. There's nothing I can do to change that now. I've been disobedient with my finances for a lifetime. There's nothing I can do about that now. The excuse of that you're too old, you should tell that to Abraham and Sarah. Or how about the excuse of, I'm too tired. I'm just too tired, Luke. I don't have the energy that I once had. Well, you should tell that to, to Moses and Aaron, who administratively led large numbers of people all throughout the ancient world. They were tired. We are tired, but we are not as tired as we think we are. Or how about, I'm too lonely. Luke, I don't have the friends that I need. I don't have the relationships that are required for me to step out of my 38-year sedentary. I'm too lonely. And I would say that loneliness is an excuse for inaction. And that if you are lonely, you are one yes away from loneliness dissipating in your life. If you would just put yourself out there, if you would just stay for the communion meal, if you would just show up to an outpost, if you would just engage beyond Sunday, I am lonely is an excuse for I don't want to get hurt again. But you must remember that it's in the place of protection that your heart shrinks and dies. You must put yourself out there and give God another chance and give the church another chance. Or how about I'm too poor? I don't have anything to give. Tell that to the woman who had a widow's might. 
something that is a fraction of a penny in today's value. And Jesus looked at her and said, she gave everything. Everything. I'm too old, I'm too tired, I'm too lonely, I'm too poor, I am too busy. My goodness, is that not our lives? Those who live in the West, those who have growing families and demanding jobs, your schedule on your phone is completely packed. Luke, I can't receive healing and change. I am far too busy for that. And we will come up with every excuse to stay stationary. I'll just wait for God to mail me some healing. That's what I'll do. The Amazon truck comes. I know it does. As does the angels. They'll come. They'll heal this heart of mine. They'll heal this pain, this heart trauma of mine. They'll heal this physical infirmity, this spiritual infirmity. I know it. I just have to stay put long enough to get it. My assignment today is to decry your excuses and send you a memo from heaven that says the excuses of the stubborn are restraints of your own making. They are the restraints of your own making. Those excuses of yours, it's because you're stubborn and I'm stubborn. And every time we come up with an excuse, we're placing a restraint on our souls. We're placing a restraint, keeping us from inaction. Do you know what Jesus says when we give him an excuse? He says, get up. That's what he says. He says, get up. You know why I think he says, get up, and not like, you're, you're so right. Let me, let me just gently lift you up with compassion and mercy in this moment. Like, he says, get up. Why? Because he's matching our style. We're stubborn, and he's more stubborn. He is dedicated to you beyond your wildest dreams. And he loves you and is so committed to you beyond any of our wildest comprehensions. The reason he's commanding you to get up is because that's probably what you need to hear and what I need to hear. Get up. You've been sitting there for far too long. You've been sitting in your known misery for far too long. Get up and pick up your mat and walk. I'm tired of your excuses. Get up and walk. If it were me that stumbled upon this paralytic man, my heart would have been broken for him until I found out that he had been there for 38 years. And then I would have said, there's no hope for him. And some of you are looking into your own soul and you're saying, there is no hope for me. There's no hope for this heart of mine to change. There's no hope for this physical infirmity of mine to change. There is no hope for this spiritual infirmity of mine to change. And the excuses of the stubborn are restraints of your own making. And Jesus is calling you to get up. Get up and put your excuses down and pick up your mat and walk. Praise God. It was Jesus that stumbled into this man with mercy in his eyes. Praise God. It was Jesus who has a commanding voice that's also simultaneously the healing voice that says, get up 
pick up your mat and walk. You've been there for 38 years. If I found out that one of my people was in the same place that they've been in for 38 years, I'd be like, wash my hands of you. Praise God, it was no other human being but Jesus that ran into this man. Because it was his commanding yet merciful voice that brought this man to his feet. Not needing therapeutics. No shade on my physical therapist in the room. Sorry, brother. But there was no therapy required. He just got up. That is not a description for me saying, like, you don't need therapy. Like, you probably do. You need Jesus and a good therapist. That's my life motto. But the commanding, merciful voice of Jesus brought this man to his feet. And if it had been anybody else, he would still be there right now. So what is Jesus saying to you? He's saying to you what he's saying to all of us. Because if he bothered to say it then, he meant it for it to be now said too. It is get up. Get up. Don't you just love agitator Jesus? (laughs) I do. Get up. Look at the middle of verse 9. It says this, The day on which all of this dramatic healing took place was a Sabbath. Now, if you know anything about Hebrew culture or Jewish tradition, it's okay if you don't. Quick primer. You couldn't do jack diddly squat on Sabbath. You could not heal. You could not work. You could not do anything on Sabbath. Strict, 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 strict legalism. Okay? Middle of verse 9, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed with the commanding, merciful voice and eyes of Jesus, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, well, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. I'm imagining him befuddled, but like, I don't know what to tell you. The man who healed me just said, get up and walk. And then I could. Verse 12, so they asked him, who is this fellow? Who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? Who's this guy? (laughs) Verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Don't you ever believe that Jesus is into crowds and only crowds? He is into the one. He's into you. And he's willing to pick you out of the crowd. Verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See? You are well again. Stop sinning or something else is going to happen to you. We don't know what sin pattern this man was in, but Jesus changes up his style yet again from cathartic, mercy in his eyes, to commanding. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus loved this man enough to threaten him. Let that sink in for a hot second. Jesus loves you enough to threaten you with an outcome in the future that is worse than your current reality now. That is the extent that Jesus loves your soul, your heart. He's willing to tell you the hardest, most jarring, raw things so that you will listen, so that I will listen. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. We don't know. We don't know 
what this man was trapped in. Perhaps it was just disobedience. Perhaps it was this. Perhaps it was that. But it really doesn't matter what he was wrestling with. It matters what you are currently trapped in and that you've been there for 38 years and calls on this man to instead now run in paths of holiness. Oh my gosh, healings in Scripture are never for healing's sake. They are healings for holiness. Do you understand? Jesus' mercy in his eyes brings sinners into his presence and heals them from the inside out, not so that you can use your healing for whatever you want, but so that you can now run in paths of holiness that God has called you apart from a world that wants to hold you down for 38 years. Some of you need to get up from your 38-year stationary, sedentary spot and listen to the voice of God say, get up, so that you might run in paths of holiness. Jesus didn't heal you to get a parade. Jesus didn't heal you to even get any kind of like Insta credit. After all, he slipped away into the crowd and the man's like, I don't remember who healed me, I'll be honest. Um, Some guy, yay tall, I don't know. But you know what I think is cool? Jesus made it a point to find this man. How cool is that? He was intentional to go track this guy down. Be like, see, hey, look at that. You're well now. Now stop sinning. Or something worse is going to happen. Not because of me, but because of what sin does to you. Here's the big idea. Jesus wants to heal your spiritual infirmity, friend. And he wants to heal it so much that he may just heal your physical one too. You see, in Scripture, Jesus does not heal everyone's physical infirmities. We also know that to be reality today, Jesus does not heal everyone's physical infirmities today, which actually causes quite a bit of pain, doesn't it? And doubt, often. However, all throughout Scripture, Jesus does offer to heal everyone's spiritual infirmity. He offers to heal everyone's spiritual infirmity. And he might just heal your physical one to break through to you because he wants you to run in paths of holiness. Look at this final verse in verse 15. It says this. It says, The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. That it was Jesus who made him well. Jesus tracked down this guy in the temple probably because this guy went to the temple to make sacrifices or something like that. And Jesus found this guy and said, see, you're well. 
Now stop sinning. Run in paths of holiness now. I want to heal your spiritual infirmity so much, I'm willing to possibly even heal your physical one. And then this guy says to the Jewish leaders, uh, apparently his name was Jesus. That's the guy. That's the guy that made him well. This superstitious, stubborn man got one thing right. He gave the credit to Jesus. That's what he got right. This whole time, this guy gets it wrong here, wrong there. He gets it wrong all across the whole dramatic scene of this healing program that Jesus had here at the pool of Bethesda. And yet, he gets like the one thing at the very end right. It was Jesus that healed me. It was Jesus. Not that silly, bubbling, hot tub deal. Not that weird, superstitious deal. Not that spirituality with the lowercase s that's void of Jesus. It was Jesus that healed me. It was Jesus that walked into my reality with mercy in his eyes and said, get up. What are you doing there? You've been there for 38 years. Get up. Get up now. Pick up your mat and walk. Because I love you. Because I'm committed to you. And I'm dedicated to you more than you are dedicated to yourself. That's how much I love you. Here's a final thought I want you to tuck away in your heart this morning. If you've experienced the transformative power of Jesus and you haven't given him the credit, you've taken it. If you've experienced the touch of Jesus on your heart, on your life, on your soul, you've experienced the transformative power of someone who was once lost, but now is found, who was once trapped by chains and darkness, but now has been set free by the power of the gospel. If that is you, and you've not given God the glory and Jesus the credit, you are taking the credit. Repent. Turn away from that silly thought. You have no power to heal yourself. The bubbling, superstitious water has no power to heal you either. It is Jesus with mercy in his eyes. You want to see your neighborhood gets transformed for the gospel? You tell your story of transformation. That's how. You want to see your workplace get transformed by the power of the gospel? You begin to tell them how you were once lost, but now you are found. Because I remember a time in my life, Maddie, I remember a time in my life where all y'all have been like, I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to let that guy be my pastor. Ever. And if I knew your life and all the back black story of your life, that darkness in your backstory, if I knew that, I'd be like, oh my gosh, why are they here? But we've all experienced the transformative power of Jesus' mercy in his eyes that comes up to a 38-year invalid and says, get up. And if you don't know Jesus and you're looking for hope and healing in your life and you don't look and respond to Jesus, you're going to be disappointed because you're going to sit at the edge of the pool for 38 years. It's not coming. Healing is not coming if it doesn't come from the hands of Jesus. It's not coming. Some of y'all just need to wake up to the get up comment. Get up. 
It's Jesus that wants to heal your spiritual infirmity. Stop giving your silly excuses. I give them all the time too. Let's bring them to Jesus. Let's bring them to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, there's a whole slew of excuses in this room. I can feel them in my heart because I got them too. And they're in their hearts too. And Jesus, you know, and you've named every excuse. Would you give this church the courage to name their excuses of why they won't, can't get up? Oh God, I know, I know her, I know him. He's got to walk to that prayer room, receive prayer, receive healing oil, the anointing presence of your Holy Spirit's presence, Jesus. If we are looking for hope and we're looking for healing and we're looking for it in all the wrong places, we're going to remain disappointed. We need you, we need you, we need you. Gosh, we need you, God. We need mercy and we need to see it in your eyes. Would you just heal us, Jesus? Would you heal our spiritual infirmities, the things that are keeping us down? And God, we invite you, if you want to, we'll we'll let you heal our physical infirmities too, but we just crave, we long, we hunger to be able to run in paths of holiness. But only you, God, only you can change us from the inside out. May this church have the courage to sing in response, to pray in response, to receive prayer, receive anointing in response. We ask for the pouring out of your spirit in this time, in this place today. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for walking into our mess with mercy in your eyes.